Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Laura. And I'm Lisa. And today we'll be talking about mentorship. I thought we could start out by talking about the importance of mentorship in careers. In a lot of cases, there are careers where experience is really important. And I'm thinking a lot of the medical profession. I mean, there are situations where you can't know the full extent of your job mm-hmm. without the support of other people that ability to rely on someone or ask someone questions or have like a support network. There are really uh, serious situations that you encounter in the medical profession where mentorship is vital. But I also, I also think of other professions in relation to mentorship. I think academia is a big one. I don't think you can have as a, a student, a graduate student in particular, I think your experience isn't complete unless you have a good mentorship relationship. Of course, you can speak more to that (laughs) than I can. You know, the thing about mentors is that they're institutionalized. And so in any job where you need institutional knowledge, where the institution itself has particular quirks or habits or jargon or practices or policies, I think mentors are, are important, but that also means that they only transmit institutional knowledge for the most part, you know. So I think apprenticing is an important part of the culture in terms of handing down historical knowledge. Apprenticeship and mentorship are vital. But I also think about that being a potential impediment for changing organizations and institutions. And so I think, you know, mentors play this dual role, right? Mentorship is a fairly conservative model for thinking about the transmission of knowledge, I think. I think it's overused. Mm-hmm. It's a like a business jargony word. I mean, when I worked in a corporate environment, I was very wary of yeah. conversations That's about right. mentorship That's because right. few of the, the C-level executives or anyone who was in a, a vice president role or higher had time, really, for meaningful mentorship and they would they would have these meetings where they would cram 30 people into a meeting room Ugh. and call them mentorship circles oh, and yeah. I mean I highly doubt that the executive who was the mentor even knew everyone's name in the room so <laughs> that diluted That's sense wild. of the word permeates corporate culture when you when you search mentorship on Google the first link that comes up is from leanin.org. Yes. And they recommend all of these different forms of mentorship, including mentorship teams, where it's oh. like too much responsibility for one person to mentor a mentee. And so they suggest that you have like a mentorship panel where like this person can call on multiple people. Basically, it's like diversion of responsibility. No single person has to invest that much time and energy. I mean, the fact that Lean In is such a part of mentorship network talk online is so funny to me. 
Because I just think about how many of these women read that book and then, you know, just go from man to man asking for a mentor. Like, like there are all of these people who have the inclination to try and help you perform better in the world or in life. Or I mean, it's just it's hilarious to me. I mean, we have to acknowledge the fact that Lean In does present the problem that women haven't been able to advance into executive level positions at the same rate that men have. But it's not for lack of trying. I mean, it's no, the problem no, no. is not like there are all of these women in in positions of power that have just neglected to think about mentoring other women. And that's the part that I find so problematic. I and mean, we've talked about this before about the victim blaming like just like the weird way that lean in refuses to indict the structure and that's exactly what i'm saying with the institutionalization of mentorship i too i'm super wary of mentorship probably because i dislike the kind of power relationships that are invested in the mentorship model i am extremely uncomfortable with them and i do not want to be cultivated i feel like there are other models potentially to use to think about how to build knowledge and or social power that do not involve this top-down, one-way, you know, hypodermic needle of information where the mentor just sort of injects it into the mentee and then it's like, okay, I'm done. You know, I've given you the information that you need to succeed. And I also just do not think that finding a woman mentor is somehow this magical solution to the problem of the wage gap or, you know, the leaky pipeline or what I call the racist pipeline that drive women and people of color and trans folks, you know, out of the workforce. I think there are fewer women available to mentor because of all of those things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, yeah, there are a lot of caveats with mentorship. Probably the most obvious if you're a mentor is that I, I think there's a little bit of an imbalance between who receives the most benefits generally. So the investment that it requires to be a good mentor is substantial. Yeah. I mean, we see, we see most mentorship, I think in investment situations like with startup accelerators, when people make investments in companies, they often provide an advisor mentor, someone who's, checking the finances, but also offers useful advice. When there's a monetary stake, it's a different thing than just, I inspired this person. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then there are other caveats like, you can make this person do work for you that's not necessarily appropriate, or you can take advantage of your power dynamic with this person. Um, So yeah, I, I do think that the, because there's no... I mean, the definition of mentorship is so broad. It's basically just a relationship where someone has more power and influence than you or knowledge. So someone has more resources than you, more knowledge than you, more power. And they're in a relationship with a person who depends on those resources in some way a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Especially when it's a professional, obligatory mentoring relationship. It's, It's a broken dynamic. It's an incomplete dynamic. It's about replicating power and not about creativity and bi-directional investment. It's not that mentors are bad or that they can't be useful. I just I just think we don't talk enough about how to be a good mentor, how to be a good mentee, and how to build relationships that are not so 
distant in terms of the power between one and the other. You know, there's a, for a lot of mentor-mentee relationships, there's a big gulf. That's not good. It's bad. In the academy, I tell students, I'm like, you really shouldn't take a lot of advice about your career from people who are probably over 45. And you shouldn't trust them automatically because their careers are so different than yours and the training is so different. What they were taught is so different. And in the academy, because the institution is fairly static and stable and conservative, it's not like there is a lot of conversation about how things are changing or how they should change. And so you get people repeating advice that is just busted. It's bad advice, you know, politically, strategically, socially economically, you know, like think about our generation. We were told that college debt was good debt. Educational debt was good debt. Think about good debt as a meme. How many people across this country are drowning in balloon payments because that meme of good debt was, you know, well, if you get more education, you'll get more mentors, and you'll get more network, networking opportunities, and it's good debt. How many people are drowning under that meme? following that kind of institutional knowledge. Do you know what I'm right. saying? And when I imagine that they had people who were encouraging them to go to college when they really shouldn't. That's correct. So ding, 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 ding. you've got a ton of people who honestly shouldn't invest in college. And not because they're not incapable of it, but perhaps they're not prepared by their high school and they have a high school counselor that's encouraging them to go to college with no scholarships to pay the full amount yeah. for college. They don't even recommend going to community colleges in some cases, which is absurd. Yeah. And you're ill prepared. You just don't know what you're doing. A lot of people go to college without even declaring a major. And that's they don't. In my university, the largest major on campus is undeclared arts and science. That is the single largest major in the university. I'm sure it's that way at other research one institutions too, you know? Mm -hmm. Don't know what you're doing. Lowering the scores to let more students in so you can make more tuition money to pay administrators more. And then they get saddled with debt and they don't have the tools to succeed. That's grossly unethical, but it is the business model for higher ed right now. And the weight it falls entirely on these people who are paying full tuition. <laughs> That's right. That's terrible. I mean, have you had good mentors, Laura? The relationship we have is probably the best mentorship relation I, I've had. I mean, you're not directly my mentor in a very specific way, right. but in the process of collaborating, you know, you teach me a lot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and encourage me a lot, and you care about the outcomes of my life. I'm and all you in, asked Laura. me last Laura, night. I'm all in. Right. No, last night you asked me about what my career goals were, or like at, at least some kind of possible next step, even though, I mean, it's a blurry definition, but yeah, I mean, I had mentors professionally that were just terrible. Same, same, same. <laughs> really same. bad. I mean, I had one at Walmart who was supposed to be my mentor, and they would just unceremoniously cancel meetings that we had arrangements that we had. I mean, I'm sure they put our mentorship on their resume or like as part of their development plan mm -hmm. with the company. Yeah. But I felt insulted that they even said that they were my mentor while they were like unceremoniously canceling meetings. And if they did show up, they were totally unprepared. I also, I did have a, a good short-term mentorship relationships with folks who were helping me with my startup when I had a startup. Mm -hmm. 
I participated in, in several startup camps and accelerators. And the state of Arkansas does a good job of funding new early ventures with, with programming that um, puts people who have established solid businesses in Arkansas in touch with people who are trying to do the same kind of thing. And they gave really good advice. I mean, obviously, a lot of it tends towards profit, like how to achieve profit as soon as possible. I mean, I understand that's the environment where, like, if you're going to get an investment, your investors want to see a profit right away. And yeah. so all the mentorship kind of waits to that way. And it's not very personal and not very intimate. But, I mean, the advice aspect is there. That's interesting. I'm trying to think about, I mean, there have been people who have had a role to mentor me, like an institutional role. As I think about it, it's possible that I'm completely unmentorable. That, that could be a thing. My distrust of power, because I've done politics for so long, I think that also contributes to my difficulty being a mentee. I have taken what I could from people who are my official mentors, but when I have reached out for mentorship, when I first got here to, to the university that I'm at now, I asked one of the senior professors in my subfield to read a thing that I was going to send out for publication, for feedback, and he wrote on the top of it, good. So that's pretty much how I feel about mentoring. That's pretty much the extent that I have gotten. And I don't know, I think sometimes the squeaky wheel gets, you know, the oil, and I'm not a very squeaky wheel. And I think also the academy, like business, is, is very mass man-heavy at the top, white man-heavy at the top. And I think they, they do not do the emotional labor and they do not do the mentoring in public education, just like they don't in corporations. So I think they're mostly useless for that. I think that I want a different kind of arrangement of intellectual creativity that is more lateral. I find that I learn the most like mentory things from people who are closer to my age or younger. So I'm generally the mentor in most of the relationships that I have, you know, whether it's official or not. So I do a lot of mentoring as the mentor. I'm probably much more comfortable in that role. And I find myself mentoring in Arkansas people who are much, much, much older than me and who have lived here much longer. And that's a unique sort of thing, you know, being the mentor to people who are are not your peer um, it, professionally or socially or chronologically. So I feel like I have more of a sense about what kind of good qualities exist in a mentor as a mentor, but have I seen them myself from other people? Like, do have I benefited from them? No, not, not really, no. I mean, I, I think the dilution of the meaning of mentorship is so extreme that People just say that they are yeah, a, a mentor and that can mean any sort of thing. Like I met with them twice in a semester to we meet every week to I've helped them with real cases. But also I think we had, we had lunch, you know, a standing lunch every six weeks also <laughs> counts as mentorship for some people. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really... <clears throat> chafe at the lack of clarity about what the relationship actually is. I mean, for me, I think good mentors provide perspective and confirmation and critique. They can point out minefields and political snafus and sand traps. 
they can suggest fellowships and promotions and new positions. They can give mentees access to networks. I think there are ways that a good mentor can listen and can provide information that can be very constructive. And for me as a mentor, I work best with mentees who have a high degree of independence and risk-taking. Mm-hmm. And I work best with people who follow through. So I, I just get super impatient with people who want my mentoring and who cannot show up in a minimal way to contribute their part to the relationship because I see it as symbiotic and bi-directional. I just do not like the model where all of the information comes to me and then just like somebody benefits from it on the other end. That, I think, is a bad model. The academy, though, is full of people who see themselves as mentors who are in positions of power who are totally abusive and completely jealous and sabotage and destructive and just who undermine things, you know, who are just grossly unprofessional and unethical human beings, just like every other, you know, field. They're everywhere. They're in politics. They're in law. They're in medicine. They're in every single facet of the culture. It's not like those people are somehow unique to the academy. They're not. But because they have PhDs, they feel like they are insulated from critique or, you know, response. And so I... I have a real problem with that as an orientation towards power in the academy. And so I really have a problem with professors who want to train sycophants and who want the mentorship relationship to be a parental relationship or who see mentorship as a way of controlling their own identity or their their own personal PR. I've had to just undo a lot of that. I have students that from my institution, but also around the country, who come to me like, is this normal? Should my mentor be treating me this way? No, your, your mentor should not be treating me that way. Your mentor should not be abusive. You shouldn't feel like you hate yourself. You should, the messages shouldn't be about shame. You know, there's just this really, I think, destructive way that especially the baby boomer generation sees power in the workplace that is really detrimental and I find highly problematic. The power thing also is troubling. I mean, I, I brought up some caveats earlier, but I, I feel like, especially now, that it's becoming clear that people are using power and using mentorship as an excuse to abuse To dominate. Totally. People. Yeah. I mean, it can be a sexual abuse situation where you use your power and clout to encourage people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do because you can help them. I mean, obviously, Harvey Weinstein, massively guilty of that. Um, and it's hard to say how many other people are, but I do think... Him and the people, president. Almost assuredly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just prefer thinking about creative, productive collaboration with the lens of scaffolding rather than mentorship. That's one of the reasons why I feel like I myself am unmentorable. I mean, I just, I don't go and ask advice from people very often. There aren't a lot of people whose judgment I think is so great that they're going to illuminate something that I'm thinking about, you know, that I have to go and seek, seek out somebody further along in their career than me. Maybe that's because I've been in the academy for so long. Maybe that's because I started really young and so I have a good sense about, you know, the politics of the thing and the people and the personalities, whatever. 
I like thinking about scaffolding as a substitute, as an alternative to mentoring, because I like thinking about the fact that different people have different talents that they can use to build things together. So I don't feel like you're a mentor, even though I do mentory things, because I feel like you and I are scaffolding. You've got a bunch of tech knowledge, and I have this brain full of books. We can get together and talk in these interesting ways across you know what our jobs are but in the podcast space that are really generative for me you always show up for me you produce tremendous amounts of caring and compassion you listen well your ideas are great i think that you are um hyper aware of being diplomatic and you are super curious about things that's a very easy relationship for me to sign up for and participate in and, you know, generate knowledge within. And so I like scaffolding, building one on top of the other and sort of seeing how talents match up to create new things. That is a model that I am much more comfortable with. And almost all of my close, you know, relationships as an adult woman are about scaffolding you know, different and leveraging different kinds of talents together. And that is not what mentorship looks like, you know, certainly not in the academy that is much more institutional and top down. But I like the way that the podcast helps you work through ideas and think about technology and, and the things that you're reading. And I like how it helps me think through things for my books and how I'm teaching and thinking about myself in the world. And it just seems like scaffolding is a... I don't know, it, it distributes power differently so that it, it can be more equitable. And people can get more out of it. Women can get more out of it, you know? Especially as a feminist practice, I think scaffolding is totally more egalitarian. You know, there's way, there's no dominance in it. it. It respects people for where they're at and what they bring to the table. Rather than suggesting that there's a hierarchy where one person has the knowledge and the other person has no knowledge or limited knowledge, and that's the only way that the information can flow. If you're in a strategic alliance, you don't want to take advantage of your partner. There's like a mutual benefit and being kind and caring and also intimacy augments that relationship mm -hmm. as well. And that's something we've talked about as like a an important relationship building tool. I mean, I feel like any good mentorship relationship would include intimacy for sure. Honestly, that's probably one of the reasons why mentoring fails so spectacularly under capital, you know, in corporations and in other large institutions, you know, because it's very hard to cultivate intimacy under capitalism in ways that are productive when it's being mandated or it's, you know, part of the superstructure of domination that's building profit. So I think probably mentorship, you know, within the hierarchy works to undermine the success of mentees a lot. And certainly you see it in the academy. I just, I totally prefer voluntary association, you know. I don't like formal mentorship programs. I don't like them as part of retention or recruitment at all. I think people generally know how to pick folks that will help them meet their needs. And I also understand why there are arguments for them. I helped set up a mentoring program for first-generation college students at my university, and we had the launch for it last night. And for first-generation students, there's such a stigma and there's so much shame about just not having knowledge to navigate the university. 
And that's a very different thing than working in a job where you're being paid. It's not a lot to ask for faculty members who want to participate in the program to talk about how the library works, you know, and how study abroad works and to demystify the power of the university for students. That's not a huge ask and they want to do it. And they want to do it in large part because it was funny last night, I was shocked at how many of the first generation faculty mentors wanted to tell their first generation story. And that's because it was it's traumatic. I think one major part of that kind of intimacy is thinking through various traumas and how they impact uh, success, whatever, however we define that, depending on the context, and finding outlets for people to express that trauma and work through it. That's a lot to ask, and most people do not have the emotional capacity to do it. And then I also think about some of my colleagues who are just so disappointing because they are so insecure that they feel like they have to bully and chastise and shame and belittle and undermine students who are 40, 50 years younger than them as a way of feeling important. And that makes me very sad, that kind of violence. It comes from such a brittle, fragile place. It's so white. It's really terrible and unethical. Uh, but I think mentoring can be done well, but I think it's the voluntary part is key. And I think it's up to us to try and facilitate different kinds of arrangements of knowledge where people can benefit without being dominated so thoroughly, you know, by people that they work with. In the academy, we have jobs for life. So you get toxic people who bully, and they have jobs for forever. That's also a thing about hiring practice. I mean, I say all the time, I don't care what they say. I don't care what their specialty is. I don't care what methods they use, really. I just want them to be kind and have some emotional capacity and bandwidth to care for the students that we're trying to matriculate here especially in a state this poor. I said this last night, you know, Arkansas is so poor and so little of its population, it's like less than 20% have any contact with college. It's like we have a responsibility to turn out educated, you know, competent, confident citizens. And if people in a graduate program or in a faculty program or in, you know, a certain circle of a workplace don't feel like they are confident or competent, then that seems like a canary in the coal mine you know, that, that it's just a really domineering atmosphere that can't be fixed by mentoring. I like that you spoke about that mentorship program with the first-generation college students. Part of my thesis involved research about mentorship groups. So I studied the Arkansas State Lottery and Ugh. the, <laughs> the <laughs> accompanying scholarship program. It is a train wreck, it's and train my research... Yeah indicated that it was a train wreck and That's good. very poor. <laughs> you came to the right conclusion. <laughs> um, but the, the conclusion to my paper was a series of recommendations for how the program could be improved. Like if you insist on doing the scholarship program, there are a lot of ways yeah. to make it a better investment. Like it, it turns out that over 60% of the students receiving the scholarship dropped out. Oh yeah. <laughs> so within a year, of enrolling. So, I mean, just a huge dropout rate. And of course they were sending uh, students to schools that didn't have a lot of support. The University of Arkansas obviously had a better retention rate, but a lot of, a lot of the scholarship students went to schools that didn't provide a lot of student support. One of the best ways to keep people enrolled and eventually graduating is to have them involved in a mentorship relationship or in a peer group, a study group that meets regularly. Yeah. Um, and that, that involves students with 
peers, with faculty, with just any kind of regular relationship that they can rely on. I mean, I mean people need support. They need support. They need support. And also, like, the hardest students to mentor are the ones who are not curious. It's impossible. It's just impossible. And everybody else, it's not that difficult. You, ju- I mean, they just need to, to encounter, you know, more complicated ideas or more ideas about the thing that they're curious about. We were talking a little bit before the recording started about cultural mentors and mentor texts being critical. You know, I had a summer, I graduated early from my undergraduate institution and had a year off before I started graduate school. And I basically spent that whole year by myself in a city where I had no friends. Like I was apart from a lot. I had no friends then in the place where I was living. And I read, I read, I bet 400 books that year, maybe more. And it was the single most transformative year of my life, probably, in terms of my academic path, in terms of my sense of self, in terms of my groundedness and direction was having that. It was like kind of being a monk, you know, or an anchorite, you know, where you're just stuck in one place and all you've got are books. I find myself even now, I gift a lot of books. And I feel like books are life, so it it doesn't feel like a huge deal for me to just like, you know, it's like I'm the Oprah of, I'm just like giving out books all the time. A lot of the books that I read that year before I started grad school are books that I still gift as like touchstone texts, you know, that really Mm -hmm. helped me develop my brain, quite frankly, outside of the institution, you know, because I chose them all. I like that you brought that up because I feel like it does highlight the fact that these types of relationships require work, yeah, effort on both ends, and uh, with any kind of relationship, like if you haven't built yourself or <laughs> learned anything new, what's the point then of how much space do you have to converse with someone if you haven't acquired any new information or have any new outlook to share with them? So, I don't know. I mean, I have a bunch of friends who go out all the time drinking together. And I accompany them from time to time. And often I'm just like, we... I mean, I these people trade on just like thrill. Acting up or something like exciting happening or making fun of other people. There are like certain thrills that make it worth going out. But they haven't developed themselves. I mean, they haven't spent any time yeah. learning anything or like... It's not a it's not a conversationally based hangout. I mean it's like drug use and thrill <laughs> that that motivate that that. So I mean I I prize relationships where my friends I know I'm gonna hang out with someone and they have new information, that we have new things to talk about, that we can watch something together and then discuss it afterwards. Yeah. Like that is the kind of relationship that I think it's best, and I think a lot of frustration with mentorship can come from either party not pulling their weight oh, yeah. in a particular sense. And a lot of times, like, to be a mentee I, and to extract the most from that connection, I mean, it does require a lot of work. And you do have to prove that the information that you're receiving from your mentor is producing results. Yeah. So it's interesting for me because I was a policy debater in high school and in college, and it was a really 
productive and traumatic experience for me, but it did discipline my brain really hardcore. You know, when I graduated from undergrad, I graduated early to get out of debate. I needed to get out of the toxic masculinity of the kind of mentoring relationships that existed there that did not account for women at all, that were hostile and brutal and sexist and traumatic. But um, so I took about, it took me probably 12 years after I graduated from my undergraduate to really even engage academic scholars in my field again because I was so burnt out and so jaded and so fucking angry that I made zero relationships within the field for the first probably 12 years when I was in grad school and when I started my career here because I was just so done. And that was also really productive for me because then I was not being influenced. Like, you know, the academy, like everything else, is really nepotistic. And so mentors produce students, and then the students write the letters of recommendation for the mentors to receive the awards. And, you know, the mentors publish their mentees' work, and they hire their mentees. And so it's this very quid pro quo, mostly unethical, you know, sort of circle jerk of power in a lot of cases. And I it exists outside of that. So I haven't really used my connections. I don't, you know, it's not like I'm pulling rank about where I went to grad school and those folks are helping me in my career now really at all. They sort of saw me, I think, as the prodigal daughter for a long time because I was unmentorable probably. But I that those 12 years were really remarkable because then I also got to build my brain and I have a bunch of degrees and a bunch of other things that are not communication and I have been doing politics for years and traveling all around the world and building net- networks that have nothing to do with the academy or limited contact with the academy. And it, I think, honestly, when I look at my career path at this very moment, backwards, I would I would say that the thing that I feel like distinguishes me from a lot of my colleagues is that I had that debate training that was so I'm like hardcore researcher and I also have the intrinsic motivation to create different relationships with people that that influence the creativity of the kinds of things that I think about and the ways that I write and talk and teach about my subject matter and the irony of course is that as I get older I am circling back to a lot of those debaters not necessarily the ones that I matriculated with but with ones that are younger or the ones that I wasn't very close with when I was in college now as an adult person I find that I have the most in common with them because they have the motivation the intrinsic motivation and they have the discipline so they've been doing all the work at such the volume and rapidity that I have and I find myself gravitating back to people whose brains have been disciplined in that way, even while I can critique, you know, the way that it happened. Um, and so I'm both, you know, grateful and, and less, less ragey, but still quite concerned about um, debate in America. But I would say that I think that the fact that it's declining in high schools and colleges is a, is a very bad sign for democracy, because even with the corruption and toxicity of white masculinity and debate it does teach all of these skill sets that are really important and I think that have made me into a better collaborator in the university and then outside in the community and so I'm glad that I had those years apart from the field to make myself and make my brain not in anybody else's image because um, I've always sort of been an intellectual rogue. I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I'm way the hell out on doing my own thing, and I have been for a really long time. And I, I tell students a lot. I think, 
you know, you really just have to understand that you're not going to have the career that anybody else has. You have to get your own machete and bushwhack your own future. Nobody is going to help you replicate their shit. You're not going to have the same opportunities as everybody else. Your your resume isn't going to look like the person that you admire. None of that is going to be true, and you have to get okay with that, that you, you have to be okay with creating your own path and being responsible for yourself. And you have to think, I think, strategically about connections inside and outside of your workplace or your field, you know, to kind of build these scaffolding relationships that will really enhance your scholarship. I really just can't say enough about the importance of thinking about cultural mentors, you know, whether those are political or cultural figures and, you know, the kinds of spaces that they occupy socially or texts in really becoming touchstones for moments in the development of a person or a relationship, whether they're musical or printed or visual you know, I feel like there are mentor texts and relationships that can help, you know, change the nature of those relationships and make them more fulfilling and equitable. And I think people would be be really um, better off thinking very um, deeply about what kind of mentor texts, you know, that they're using to help build their relationships, whether they're personal or professional. Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas Fayetteville.